I want to ask you if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to begin with in the book of Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. I want to try to bring a message this morning, this afternoon, on the tokens of salvation. The tokens of salvation. A young man and a young woman meet, they begin to date. After a while, they begin to have serious feelings for one another. And as that relationship continues, it's obvious to everybody that there's an elephant in the room that no one's talking about. Until finally, the young man asks the young lady if, he'll, if she'll marry him. And in that very special moment, he gives to her a token of his pledge and of, her, of his affection. She puts that token on her finger, wears it with great anticipation of the day when they'll be wed. Of course, that token is a visible token, and it's one that I've had many young ladies come to me and show it off. You know, they want you to see what, uh, what they're looking forward to. The tokens of salvation are given to us by our bridegroom. He gives them to his wife, to the bride, to the church. These tokens of salvation that are spoken of in the scripture are true for every child of God. Nevertheless, unlike that ring, they're not tokens that you can physically see. And there certainly aren't tokens that we go around bragging about. They're tokens of the heart. They're tokens of faith. Matter of fact, these tokens basically describe what faith is. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet it's not I, but it's Christ that liveth in me, so that the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and died for me. This token of salvation summed up is faith. Let religion boast in their tokens of salvation. Let them uh, uh, talk about what they're doing for God as the proof of their salvation or the token of their salvation. Let them uh, wear their trinkets and have their ceremonies and do all their religious uh, things to impress one another, to let them go around flashing their rings to one another. But the tokens of salvation that the scriptures speak of aren't that way at all. This matter of salvation is a, is a matter of the heart and uh, doesn't have to do with outward behavior. Yes, I did say that. Doesn't have to do with outward behavior. Oh, our lives ought to adorn the gospel and by God's grace they will. But we don't look to the manifestation of those things as the hope of our salvation. Just try looking at them, and you'll find all the tokens of hope to fly away. The first time that this term token is mentioned in the scriptures, we find it in Genesis chapter 9. And I'll begin reading in verse 10. And with every living creature 
that is with you of the fowl and of the cattle and of the beasts and of the earth with you from all that go out from the ark and every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant. <laughs> now there's a, there's a token of salvation. I will establish my covenant. David, with all the troubles he experienced in his life, said, although it be not so with my house, it be not so with the tabernacle of this flesh, it be not so with my family, it certainly be not as it ought to be in our churches, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant. And that covenant is ordered in all things, and it is sure. David goes on to say, this is all my salvation. This is all my desire. The fact that God has established an everlasting covenant. The fact that God Almighty has chosen a particular people, etched their names sovereignly in the Lamb's book of life, having dipped his own finger in the blood of Christ. That covenant can't be changed. And God says to Noah, I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to keep that covenant. Look what he says. He says uh, in the rest of that verse 11, Neither shall any flesh be cut off any more of the waters of the flood, neither shall there be any flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and you. Now, the scriptures are very clear that it never one time rained from the time that God made the earth until the time of the flood. The ground was watered from the mist of the earth that came up from the earth, and Noah was talking about a great flood and water coming down from the sky, and, and don't you know he was mocked. And then the drops began to fall. And before long, there was a deluge. And for 40 days and 40 nights, the rain fell. And the entire earth was destroyed. Noah and his family in that pitched ark. What a beautiful picture of Christ. Saved above the waters, above the destruction. And why did God give Noah, this token. Why did he say, I'm going to put a bow in the cloud and that'll be a token to you that this kind of destruction will never come again? Had the Lord not done that, can you imagine the terror that would have gripped Noah's heart the very next time it started to rain? Not again. Not again. We've been through this once. Oh, the destruction of God's wrath only came one time <laughs> in that regard. Only came once. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was smitten by the wrath of God in order to satisfy divine justice once. He said, I'm going to put a bow in the car. Noah, I am going to open the windows of heaven. And there is going to be rain from here on out. But it's not going to be to your destruction. To the contrary, it's going to be to your salvation. And this bow... A rainbow. <laughs> you know, can, I, I understand there's some animals that can only see in black and white. I don't know how they figured that out. But uh, uh, can you imagine if the whole world was just black and white? I mean, what is there about a rainbow? It's the, all the colors, 
of the universe are in that rainbow, aren't they? And that color gives beauty and order and meaning and joy to the things of this world, don't they? What does God say? Noah, there's going to be troubles from here out. They're not going to be to your destruction as was that flood that came. And this bow is going to be a reminder to you. It's going to be a token to you. That whenever trials and troubles come, they've been sent by me. And they are for your good. They are for your salvation. What God's saying to Noah here and what he's saying to each one, the token of grace that we have in faith is to believe, is to believe that all things work together for good for them who love God and those that are called according to his purpose. And you know, when we look at a rainbow from the ground, we only see half of it. Just, just Google, circle rainbows in your computer and see what you find out. You'll see pictures of rainbows that were taken from an airplane. And you know, a rainbow, when you see it from up above, is not an arch. It's a full circle. It's a full circle. The point being that God, look what he, look what he says. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh, and the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it. When God looks at the rainbow, he sees the whole thing. <laughs> we only see a part of it. We look through a glass dimly. We only see a portion of what God's doing. But in fact, our God is a God of purpose and a God of beauty. And he's fulfilling that purpose in the salvation of his people. That's what it's all about. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Now, I know we get... We get distraught, we, we, we get disquieted, we, we, you know, we get upset about things. But when we hear the truth about who our God is and what it is he's purposed to do, we say in the heart of faith, amen, that's my God. That's my hope. That's the token that God has given me, not a physical rainbow, but the truth that that token represents. Listen to what the Lord said. In Jeremiah chapter 29, I know the thoughts that I have for you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. <laughs> That's this covenant. That's this token. I know the thoughts that I have for you. Thoughts of good, not of evil. I have an expected end for you. I'm going to accomplish my purpose in you. And every time I look at the rains that come into your life, the troubles that I send your way, they're not going to be your destruction. I'm going to see the rainbow and I'm going to remember my covenant. My covenant is to bring you to your expected end. That purposed salvation that I've determined in the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. Do you believe that? Is that? Does that describe your faith? Beauty for ashes, joy for mourning. 
Turn, turn with me to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You're familiar with this passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and look at verse 10. And I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God made from the beginning to the end. <laughs> you can't see the whole rainbow. <laughs> but he does. He does. And he makes everything beautiful in his time when his expected end is accomplished. You know, faith, faith believes that. Faith believes that. The faith of Christ believed that. That passage I just quoted about being crucified with Christ, by, and, and it's by the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ that we live and walk and have our being. It's, it's his faith in us. You know, we see, that, we see that demonstrated most clearly in our Lord's last words from Calvary's cross. As precious as it is finished is, and it is finished. That wasn't our Lord's last words. His last word was, Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. Trusting God to the very end. To the very last breath expressing his belief that his father would not allow him to see corruption. He believed God. He had perfect faith, didn't he? And the faith that he gives his children is that kind of faith. Oh, it's not always perfect, but it is. It, 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 it is. But when you hear it right now, I, I pray and hope that you're saying, hey, that's my faith. I believe that. Yes, that's my, that's my hope. That's a token of salvation. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. And look with me at verse 9. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee and their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And, he shall, and, and he, you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Circumcision is a token of the covenant. Now, there are those, many of them, who have greatly erred in associating New Testament baptism with Old Testament circumcision. And they say, well, you know, you circumcised the, chi the child in the Old Testament. That was the token of the covenant. And now the token of the covenant is baptism. That is a, that is a horrible error. And, it's a, and it really is a perversion and destruction of the whole gospel of God's grace. 
The scriptures are very clear in the New Testament as, as to what the New Testament application is of this Old Testament token of circumcision. Turn to me to the book of Romans. It's not baptism, not water baptism. It's not water baptism. Look at uh, Genesis, uh, Romans chapter 2 at verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, in other words, physical circumcision, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Now there's the token of salvation. That God has done a work of grace in the heart. In the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. Now what is the circumcision of the heart? Well, it's when God takes out that cold, dead, lifeless, stony heart and puts in a living, beating, warm heart living heart of flesh. It's when we've been given a new nature. A new nature. We still have our old flesh, don't we? I mean, it's just, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? To will is ever present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I, I, I find not. Our flesh is, oh, it's so... we. But here's what happens. When God puts a new nature in your heart, you know what the token of salvation is? You loathe that old man. You loathe him. You're ready to be rid of him. You long for that day when the old man will be put out of his misery once and for all and the corruptible will be made incorruptible and the, the mortal will be made immortal and you see him as he is and you're made like him. That's a token of salvation. God has done heart surgery on his children. He's given them a new nature. Now, as a result of that, they've got a, they've got a conflict in this world, don't they? And, you know, and this, here's the thing about it. This conflict is not just a, uh, it's not just a conflict between right and wrong. You know, everybody has that. Everybody that's got a conscience has suffered some conflict in their soul over, you know, feeling guilty about doing something wrong. That's not the conflict that the believer has. What the believer experiences is that he knows he's got a nature that is nothing but sin, a nature that can do nothing to please God, a nature that is only holding him back and can't help him or provide any hope of salvation for him. And at the very same time, because of this circumcision of the heart, he's got a new nature that is just the opposite of that old nature. Completely perfect before God, without sin, cannot sin. That he's holy before God in the person of his substitute, in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the mind of Christ. You've been given a new nature. That's, the, that's a token of salvation. That's what circumcision is. That's the circumcision of the heart. 
<laughs> so that we find all of our hope in that, in that new man, in that new nature. We've been made after the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation so that we stand in the presence of God in the person of our substitute, perfectly acceptable in his sight. Is that a token of salvation for you? Is that your experience in faith? Like I said, this is not a, this is not a ring that we flash and impress people with. This is the substance of faith. These are the tokens of salvation that God gives in the heart to give us assurance of His grace. That there is a day when the bridegroom is coming. <laughs> a day of great rejoicing. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Now, I promise we're not going to be here all day, but we are going to look at every place where this word token is used in the Word of God. It's not very many. It's only seven. But these are the tokens of salvation. I want to know if these tokens, if I have these tokens. Has my, has my bridegroom given me these tokens? Look at, look at Exodus chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 12. And he said, certainly I will be with thee. Uh, here's, the, here's the setting. Moses is at the burning bush. The bush that's burning with fire and not being consumed. Such a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ absorbing the fiery wrath of God's judgment on Calvary's cross. And yet he himself was not consumed. <laughs> it's like the Hebrew children that were thrown into the fiery furnace. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar looked in. He said, uh, did we not put three in there? And he said, yeah. Well, I see four. And the fourth looks like the Son of God. And not a hair on their head was singed. And the smell of smoke was not to be found on their clothing. Why? Because that fourth man, he put out that fire. <laughs> he absorbed that fire. He consumed that fire. And they came out whole, didn't they? Here's, here's a picture of the burning bush saying that that's what Christ did on Calvary's cross. The fire of God's wrath fell, just like it fell on that, on that sacrifice that uh, Elijah built on Mount Carmel when he, when he shamed uh, the prophets of Baal and the fire of God fell and consumed the sacrifice. But here the sacrifice consumes the fire. Moses is speaking directly with the Lord Jesus Christ at that bush. And the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to raise up another prophet like unto thee. A picture. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses is just a picture of Christ, isn't he? Moses as the deliverer going into Egypt and bringing the children of Israel out of the bondage of the taskmasters is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ coming into Egypt and delivering his people from the bondage of sin. That's what it's a picture of. And uh, Moses is, is offering his objections, isn't he? Well, Lord, I can't speak. Well, Lord, what do I do? What do, what do I say? How do I, how do I convince them? And the Lord, the Lord very tenderly deals with Moses and gives him all the proof that he needs, doesn't he? Look at verse 11 in Exodus chapter 3. And Moses said unto God, 
Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Egypt, of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with thee. Moses, it's not going to be determined by you. It's going to be determined by my power. It's not by might or by, by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. It's, you're not going to be doing it. You're just an instrument. I'm going to get all the glory for it. I'm going to go with you. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. Now here's what God said to Moses. Moses, here's the token. Success. Success. When you succeed by my power, in bringing the children of Israel back to this mountain. What mountain was he at? It was at Mount Sinai. When you succeed in getting the children of Israel out of Egypt and bring them back to this mountain, then on this very mountain of the law, you're going to come to the top and you're going to worship me without any fear of wrath. Now, that's a great token to me. Our Moses... The Lord Jesus Christ succeeded in what he came to do. He accomplished the salvation of his people. He didn't come making an offer of salvation. He came completing, finishing it. He brought his people out once and for all, offered up for their offenses and raised again because of their justification. The Lord Jesus Christ put away our sin once and for all and established Eternal redemption for all his people. He succeeded in doing that. He succeeded in satisfying the demands of God's holy law. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. We don't use the law to, uh, to, to, to motivate us. We don't use the law to monitor our behavior. We don't use the law to measure ourselves with one another. We don't do that. Why? Because we're not under the law. Why are we not under the law? Because Christ succeeded in putting, under, putting away the law and putting us under grace. And he came back to the very mountain of the law, and now we are able to worship a holy God represented by that mountain without any fear of wrath, without any fear of judgment. Why? Because justice is satisfied. The law is met. Moses, here's the token. When you succeed... In coming back here by my power, you're going to worship me on this mountain. We can come into the very presence of a holy God with confidence, boldly approaching the throne of grace to find mercy, to help in our time of need without any fear of the law. Do you have that token of salvation? Do you have a Christ that has satisfied every jot and tittle of the law? He said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. <laughs> he fulfilled it. The law can't, can't do anything. The law has never been able to save. The only thing the law ever can do is judge and condemn. But here we have a token of salvation.
showing our Moses succeeding in worshiping God on the very mountain of the law. And we in our substitute, in our sin bearer, have satisfied the law. That's a, that's a great hope. That's a great comfort. That's a ring I can wear boldly on my heart and say, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for giving me such an encouraging token of salvation. Exodus chapter 12. You know this one very well. Very well. The children of Israel are about to be delivered out of the bondage of Egypt. But all the curses and plagues that God sent were of no avail. This one is going to work. This one's going to work. The Lord instructed Moses, you take a lamb, one lamb for every household. You bring that lamb into your home for three days, inspect that lamb, make sure it's without spot and blemish. And then slay that lamb. Shed its blood. And I am just absolutely certain that you wouldn't have had to have a crime scene investigator to find the blood on the door of those, of those Israelites' homes. I bet they splashed it all over it. Why on the door? Why on the door? You know, I've lived in my home 20 years, and maybe once or twice I may have gotten locked out with my wife in the house, and I had to knock on the door to get her to come unlock the door. Otherwise, I've never knocked on the door of my house. Never. I just walk right in anytime I want to go in. That's my house. And in those 20 years, I've never walked into anyone else's house without getting permission to come in. I would never come to your house and just walk in without, without knocking on your door. That door, that's, that represents authority. That's, that's the access into the home, and the owner of that home has authority over that door to open it or close it to whomsoever they will. Is that not the case? Did the Lord Jesus Christ not say that I am the door to the sheepfold? You can come in by, he's the, he's the owner of the household. <laughs> he's the one that's got the key to the, he said, I'm going to give you the keys of David. The Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation is seen holding the keys of David. And what he opens, no man can shut. And what he shuts, no man can open. The blood on the door is representative of the Lord Jesus Christ himself being the only access and the only one who can give access into the family of God. So they're told to put the door, the blood on the door. And look what, uh, look what the scripture says. In verse 13 of Exodus chapter 12, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And just like the, just like the bow, the bow wasn't so much for man to see as much was for God to see. <laughs> he said, I'll look down and see that bow and I'll remember my covenant. And when I see the blood, <laughs> when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague will not hurt you. Oh, that Passover lamb, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That blood that he shed on Calvary's cross 
was for the forgiveness of sin. That's our token of salvation. It's not something that can be seen with the physical eyes. It can only be seen through the eyes of faith. It can only be seen as God enables us to find all our rest and all of our hope and all of our satisfaction in what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he offered himself up as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. What a great token it is. <laughs> and don't you love the story in the, in the book of Joshua, chapter 2? I'll just tell it to you quickly. You know it very well. Joshua sends the spies into Jericho to spy out the city, and they, they find a harlot. Her name is Rahab, the great-great-grandmother of King David himself. And Rahab hides the spies, you remember, and they come looking for them, and then she lets them out of her window, which is on the wall of the city, by a red rope. And the spies said to her, bind. She begged them for her. She said to them, we know your God is the God. We've heard about what he did. We know that he's going to destroy our city. Is there any hope that I could be saved? And you remember what Rahab said? Or the spies told Rahab, you take this rope that you've let us down by. This scarlet thread is what the King James called it, but it was obviously a rope. And, and bind it upon your window, and all those that are within this house will be spared. If anyone in the house gets killed, the blood will be on our heads. But if anyone out, if, any, if the anybody leaves the house and they get killed, the blood's on their own head. <laughs> you got to stay behind the scarlet thread. <laughs> oh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he's the way of escape, isn't he? There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with every trial and temptation, what? Provide a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. What's that way? Christ is that way of escape. He's that scarlet thread. Don't you know? I, can you just picture how elaborate the scene was at the window of Rahab's house when she took that rope and garnished her window with it. <laughs> I mean, she didn't want anybody to miss that red rope. There it is. The spy said to Rahab, this will be your token. This will be your token. The token of salvation is the only way of escape from the wrath of God's judgment, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have that? Am I describing something that's real to you? <laughs> Am I describing your experience? Is, this, is, God, is God comforting your heart to say, oh, yes? Or perhaps you're saying, I wish I had that. Ask him for it. Ask him for it. Lord, I need that kind of faith. I need, I need you to do a work of grace in my heart. And keep asking him. You know, we, we don't just ask once, do we? As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How would you receive him? You received him as a, as a mercy beggar, didn't you? We ever get beyond that? No. Just keep asking, don't we? To whom coming? 
keep asking, oh, Lord, give me that faith. Turn with me to the book of Numbers. Children of Israel are in the wilderness. And um, there's a lot of murmuring going on. You ever murmur? I, I'm, I'm afraid I do a whole lot. I do a whole lot. I, I'm ashamed to say. Always murmuring. And uh, always, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm a rebel at heart. I really am. I have to be subdued. I have to be taken control of. Because if, if I'm left to myself, I'm just going to do it my way every time just like these Israelites in the wilderness. And there was, a, uh, there was some controversy about who was in charge. And, uh, and the Lord told Moses, I'll tell you what, you get each leader of every 12 tribes to bring a rod and put it before the tabernacle. And I'll prove by those 12 rods, one of them, and have them put their names on the rod. You remember? It was a staff. And... Um, and have Aaron put his name on the rod that belongs to the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe. And uh, the next morning when Moses came back into the tabernacle, what did he find? Eleven rods, just like they were when they were laid there. What happened to Aaron's rod? It came alive, didn't it? It bloomed, it budded, and it produced almonds. <laughs> And God was saying to, to all the children of Israel, this is the one who has authority. Now look with me, look with me um, in Numbers chapter 17 um, at verse 33. They and all that appeared to them went down alive into the pit. And the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. Um, I'm sorry. I knew I was reading the wrong verse. I was in the wrong chapter. Chapter 17, verse 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels. And thou shalt quite take away their murmurings from me that... They die not. The only reason that you and I aren't killed by God is because we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, our high priest who ever liveth to make intercession for us. We have one seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, the rod of Aaron, our high priest, that living rod that produced fruit, fruit of righteousness, standing before God on our behalf, that the rebels die not. Do you have that token? <laughs> Do you have the hope of knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ was received back into glory by the Father, and that he is alive, interceding as your priest, that he himself is making the offering of himself to the Father. <laughs> what, did, what did Abraham say to Isaac? 
Father, here's the, here's the fire and here's the wood. Where's the sacrifice? God will provide himself a sacrifice. God will do the providing. He'll be the sacrifice. He'll provide it to himself. And there we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our, as our priest, making the sacrifice of himself before God. Why? That the rebels die not. I change not. And that's the only reason you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Jacob was a rebel. Jacob was a deceiver, a supplanter. He, you know, he wanted to do it his way, didn't he? Wanted to do it his way. Psalm 86. Psalm 86. I'll go quickly. Psalm 86. David is praying this prayer, but he's praying it prophetically. It's clear in these Psalms that what David's saying, he's saying on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a prayer that our Lord is praying from Calvary's cross. And I want you to notice in verse 17 what the Lord Jesus says in his heart, in faith to the Father from the cross. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, has hoped me and comforted me. What is that token that the Lord Jesus Christ is praying the Father to give him? The Pharisees wanted to see a sign, didn't they? You remember when, when Pilate sent the Lord back to Herod? To be, to be interviewed by Herod. And, and the scripture says that Herod was genuinely enthused and excited that Jesus of Nazareth was coming because he hoped that he would see a miracle. And the most sobering thing is said in the Word of God about that experience. When the scripture says, And Christ spoke not a word. Not a word. A wicked and perverse generation seeketh after a sign. These tokens are not outward manifestations. We're not asking God to prove himself. But listen to the rest of that verse. No sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah, who spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. What was the Lord Jesus Christ saying? The token for good that I'm asking the Father to give me that will make those who by nature hate me be ashamed of themselves is the resurrection. It's the resurrection. <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ was offered up for our offenses and raised again because of our justification. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the proof it's not that he was raised from the dead. Everybody seems to believe that. You know, a few weeks ago, everybody, everybody called themselves a Christian celebrating Easter, isn't it? Not that Christ was raised from the dead, but why he was raised from the dead. Why was he raised? Because God the Father was satisfied. He was satisfied. The work was done. He could not allow his Holy One to remain in the tomb. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is our token for good to prove to us that everything necessary for salvation has been accomplished in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Do you have that token? <laughs> Do you, you know, I, people say, well, I've never hated God. And I have one response to that. You don't know Christ. You don't know Christ. If you believe that to be true about yourself, that you never hated God, the Lord's not revealed himself to you or yourself to yourself. That those who hate me by me made ashamed. When God taught me the gospel, when he put the tokens of salvation in my heart through the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first time I realized that what that resurrection was really all about was to give to the Lord Jesus Christ all the glory for our salvation. He raised from the dead as proof positive that God Almighty is satisfied. The work is done. Martha, well, I believe in the resurrection. <laughs> oh, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me shall never die. What a great hope we have. What a great Savior we have. Knowing that God has raised him from the dead as the firstborn among many brethren. That's what that's a reference to. It's his resurrection. It's his resurrection. And really, really verse 17 has a double meaning. In salvation, as the tokens of grace and tokens of salvation are made real in the hearts of God's people, those who by nature hated him are going to be ashamed. But in the final day of judgment, all those outside of Christ, outside strangers to the grace of God, are going to see the risen Savior. And the scripture says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, even if it is the rod of God's wrath that smites them on the back of the knee and forces them to the ground. Everyone's going to know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And all of his enemies are going to be put to shame. Philippians chapter 1, this is the last token. This is the last token. Philippians chapter 1, verse 28. And in nothing, terrified by your adversaries, which is to them... That, these are the enemies of the gospel. These are the, these are the men of the world who, who would persecute you for righteousness' sake. Now, persecuting you for righteousness' sake doesn't have anything to do with you being a goody two-shoes and people not liking you. Because you, If you do good, I mean, you really treat people well and do well and do good, people, people like you for it. I mean, they'll put, you on the, they'll put you on the news if you do good enough, you know. That's not being persecuted for righteousness. It's standing up for the Lord Jesus Christ as the only hope of righteousness before God. It's exposing man-made religion for what it is, a works salvation that will condemn men to hell. 
It's giving to the Lord Jesus Christ all the glory for salvation. And you do that, you're going to be at odds with this world. You're going to be at odds with the religion of the... If you're looking for a religion that's going to give you peace with men, you won't find it in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. A token of salvation. Look what, look what this verse says. Now, I admit that the word evident token is only mentioned once, but it certainly implied the second time. It is certainly implied clearly in this verse the second time. Read it with me. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which to them is an evident token of perdition, but to you it is an evident token of your salvation. Frank read from Hebrews chapter 11 about Abraham, the father of the faithful. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. If God puts the work of grace in your heart, you're going to be a stranger in this world. You're going to be at odds with the philosophy of this world, the religion. Of, I know we get, we get enamored with the things of this world and we get attached to the things of this world, but I'm talking about when we hear the gospel and when we come into fellowship in, by the Spirit of God and we say that... I'm looking for a city, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. There's nothing in this world to build my life on. The religions of this world, the philosophy of this world, the values of this world, everything. I just feel like I'm swimming against a stream. But thank be to God. <laughs> We're just traveling through temporary sojourn. That's an evident token of your salvation. Tokens of grace. Scripture speaks of them. And they're there to give encouragement to the child of God to say, yeah, I don't find much token in my love for God. I don't find much token in my obedience. I don't find much token in the law. I don't find tokens, you know, in the things of religion, like, you know, men wear certain trinkets and go through certain ceremonies, and they think that's proof of their salvation. But those tokens right there, that's, that's my experience. That's what God has done by his grace to confirm his love and mercy towards me in Christ.